0: Get comfortable and uh, get your Bibles or your devices. Today, we're going to start out in the book of Matthew for a moment, in the book of Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll go to Philippians chapter 4, which we'll finish up our teaching there also. And so last week, we started this conversation, and actually, we started a couple of weeks ago this conversation about we're at war. And so last week, we talked about that the war that we're facing, well, is on two fronts in our lives. It first starts within us. It's the war between that of our flesh and our spirit and who is going to control our actions in life. And so we said that's the first front of our battle. And then the second front of our battle was that of that battle without, outside of us. And we said that the battle within has direct connection to the battle that is outside of us because what what is inside of us drives us. And so I begin to think this week a lot about this battle within myself and the battle within our lives. And so I wanted to talk to you again about that in, in this topic of we're at war. So I have a question for you. And here's the question I asked this to the staff Tuesday morning. And I want to ask it to you today also. What occupies the first minutes of your day? It's a big question, isn't it? What occupies the very first minutes of your day? So those that are in the uh, big room with us this morning on campus, those that are joining us from church at home, Uh, Just for a moment, I'm going to give you about maybe 10 seconds. I've given you the question. You've already thought you have your answer down. So if there's anyone near you, right, that's the thing. Maybe you want to call somebody right now. But if there's anyone near you, just turn to them and share with them what occupies the first minutes of your day. Turn to them and say that to them. Maybe one or two things, okay, for just a moment, right? If you can find someone around you today to do that, just, just do that for a moment. And, and so while you're doing that, I begin to think about my day, okay, and, or, or our days, and say, Mark, first of all, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make us feel guilty because we're not doing the 5 a.m. devotional kind of thing, right? You're not getting up and you're doing the 5 a.m. devotional kind of thing. And so let me tell you, before you even kind of get any mindset about what we're going to talk about, this is not necessarily about what you are not doing. I think this is about what you're doing in the mornings is what I want to talk to you about. And so I think about the first few moments Well, you, you make coffee, right? Yeah. And if you're not a coffee drinker, then our eye is on you because we're a bit suspicious about that, right? But uh, we, we make coffee, then you brush your teeth or you brush your teeth and make coffee. Those are interchangeable. Sometimes it depends on how bad you need some caffeine. You take a shower, you do all those kinds of things, but I'm not talking about that necessarily. But what I'm talking about with you this morning, whether you're here or at home joining us today, is that what about those moments in the first time, uh, first thing of your morning that you spend on social media? What about that? That you spend the rest of your day in the shadow of what someone had for dinner last night because they posted it sometime late at night, right? And you think, dude, we had like hamburger helper and they had fillets. So, you know, my life is really not going well and, or you get up and you turn the news outlets on. They're really encouraging right now. The news outlets are extremely encouraging. And so you turn that on. You get a little bit of CNN, NBC. Or of course, I know we have to say Fox, you know, that kind of thing, right? Or maybe a video game to wake up your brain is what you do. Maybe that's what... So my question is, what are you stuffing your heart and your mind with? Mark, you use the weird word stuffing, but I think that's well here. But then what are you stuffing your heart and mind with? Because how do those elements work out throughout your day? How do those elements play out in how you feel and how you see life and how you see other people throughout the day? And what kind of thoughts and feelings are they generating within your life? Listen, I thought about this. If the capacity of our brain, this is just the way Mark thinks, okay? If the capacity of our brain was measured on a scale of 1 to 10, all right? 1 being that you're wide open to all kinds of stimuli in the world. And 10 being that you're, you're, your brain is kind of jammed full with all kinds of stuff then how much of the 10 are these things occupying your mind? Because if a large percentage of this material is discouraging, and a large uh, percentage of this material is very negative, and and it's very, uh, uh, I I would say, just really pulling you down in life, how does that lead you throughout your day? What does it do? Does it lead you to encouragement or does it lead you to worry? Does it lead you to stress? Does it lead you to depression and and, and that of uh, discontentment in your life? You say, Mark, I'm really good at taking lemons and making lemonade about things in life. And that's wonderful. But what I think we're trying to do a lot of times is this. We're trying to take rotten lemons and making very sweet lemonade with it. And no matter how much sugar you add to that, it's not going to work because it's still going to taste rotten. So what's the most negative input that you have within your life right now within your life? What's the most negative input that you have within your life? You know, and you say, you know, what? And, and I think the other question would be, what are you going to do about that within your life, you know? And maybe it's the person sitting next to you. They're your negative influence. And you're saying, Mark, are you saying I can get rid of them? That's not what I'm saying, okay? So just hang on for just a moment. But what I want to talk to you about is how this really works in our lives, how God has created us. So we start in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and verse 19. And it starts with the eye being the lamp of the body. I don't know if you've ever read this text or not. It's very interesting but it starts out in a way that, well, you wouldn't think that we're going to get what we're going to talk about out of it. But hang on for a moment. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's a text for a moment a pause for a point. It's a text about value in life. It's the security Of those heavenly treasures that you and I lay up in relation to earthly treasures. And he goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And all of a sudden we come to 22 and 23, these verses, and they seem to not fit in with what the writer is talking about what Jesus is speaking to us. But here are the words in verse 22, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Then it seems that Jesus comes back to the point, no one can serve two masters or either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other that you cannot serve God in money, he says. And bookended by these verses upon value and money that Jesus decides to talk about optometry. Isn't that odd? I think it's an odd thing, right? That in, in, in the middle of talking about money and treasure, he talks about our eyes and how we see things. He talks about how we have a healthy eye or we have a bad eye and how they compare to one another. But for context... I think we have to look at all six verses to really understand what Christ is telling us. You say to me, Mark, so you're going to talk about these things that influenced my life, but now you've turned this into a sermon on money. And how does that affect all of this in my life? And how does that really affect what I do for the first few minutes of my day? And it affects it in so many ways. It does. Because why would Jesus... Why would Jesus speak about money, and then in the middle of that teaching, talk about a good eye and a bad guy, bad eye. And it's this. And this is what I want to share with you. Because this teaching has everything to do with what we value. It has everything to do with about how we see life in light of what we value. Because what I realize about myself, and I don't think I'm absolutely unique compared to anybody else in the room, what I realize about myself is the things that I value and the things that I love are the things that I follow in life. Those are the things that guide my life. What we focus on, there's the part about the eyes. What we focus on becomes the lens in which we see life through. The first bookend says, hey, here's the thing. You have a choice. You can lay up heavenly treasure or you can lay up earthly treasure. And it talks about value, that, that of Heavenly treasure, it has no shelf life. Earthly treasure, it's going to pass away at some point. It talks about that. And then the second book in is that of about the throne of your own heart. And that you can't share that with money, God says. So God has to sit on the throne of your heart. And between all of this, but not excluding all of this, Jesus is referencing that of the eye being the lamp of the body. It brings light into the body. So what is the healthy eye that brings light? And what is the bad eye that brings darkness within our lives? So you have to start way back at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 6. Because Jesus starts talking about how we give to the needy. He starts talking about generosity. He starts talking about how we take care of each other outside of being Um, hypocritical with all that. So it goes back to how we simply take care of one another, how we provide for the needy in our community. It's how we see the reality of life around us is what it is. It's what we value in life and how those things that input into our heart and our mind, how they influence all those things, because those things influence how I see life. But not only do they influence how I see life, but they influence how I respond to the things that I see in life. And if I'm constantly flooding my mind and my brain and my heart with sources that bring fear into my life and discouragement into my life, then my heart and my, and my mercy for others begins to close off. When I have fear in my life, I'm not reaching out to others. I'm not loving others. What am I doing? I'm withdrawing. I'm retreating inwardly. I withdraw and I say, hey, I better take care of myself. Because no one is going to take care of Mark like Mark takes care of himself. And everyone can kind of fend for themselves. Because when my eye is bad, then, then my mind is cloaked in darkness. And darkness and light cannot exist in our hearts at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. So I thought about this. It's truly about what I value in life and how I see things. It's how I see you and it's how you, you see me. That's why he uses the example of a light. So, so, I thought about this when my eye is healthy, you know, that, that I can see you well. And I brought this container of water this morning, so I can see you well. You look kind of strange through this kind of thing, you know, but I can, I can see you fairly well. I know you're there through this water because it's clear. Because th- this is the thing I see life in light of Christ within me. That doesn't mean that everything is going well in my life, that doesn't mean that everything is going exactly like I want it. But when my eye is healthy, that I'm seeing God working even in those circumstances around me that are displeasing to me, that are discouraging to me, that I see Christ working because I know that God is sovereign and I know that God is providential and he's in control of anything and everything in my life. So when my eye is healthy, I'm seeing you. I see the need in your life. That's why Jesus puts this right in the middle of this text about money, that I see the need in your life, and I say to myself, I can meet that need in your life because there's a spirit of mercy and there's a spirit of generosity that's living within me, but yet here comes discouragement. Here comes those things that I allow to speak into my life, and they begin to discourage me. I begin to fill myself up. Maybe I've had a little too much of CNN in my life. You know what I mean, right? Yes, yes, yes. Binge on the news for a while, and then you're going to find yourself, you know, you're going to find yourself probably in a very cloudy situation. And so what happens is this, is as I begin to, as I begin to inundate my life with all these things, everything gets cloudy within my life. And what happens when things are cloudy and I'm discouraged, then I can no longer look Look, I can no longer see you. I can see me in a reflection, but I can no longer see you. Why? Because I'm discouraged and I'm fearful. And all of a sudden, I've withdrawn back into myself that I'm not seeing the need in your life. I'm only seeing the things that I can fix within my own life at that point because of the fear that's in me. Because my eye is bad, my heart has become dark, and I'm in self-preservation mode. That's why in this text, Jesus talks about the love of money. He talks about the love of money. It's not that you just want to save all you can save. And we've looked at that text for years like that. It's the fact that I love money more than I love helping you and using money that God has given me to simply help you and to take care of the needs in your life. That I no longer see the needs of my brothers and sisters. Because I can't live this merciful and generous life focused on Christ and others When my eye and my heart is cloaked in darkness and I continue to expose myself to all this negativity and discouragement. It's true. We find ourselves in that culture right now. We do. I had someone text me this week and I I talked to them this morning for a moment. and, And they they have a ministry here in Anderson to where that they have this trailer they take downtown for those that are displaced in our community to take showers during the day. And, and have we forgotten, and I think we have in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of things that we're dealing with, have we forgotten that a lot of those services that care for those in our community that are displaced and the Bible mandates that we care for those that are struggling in life, have we realized that a lot of those ministries and those programs that care for those that are displaced in our community have shut down also. And I text this person back and I said that's a reality that we don't think about a lot in the middle of all of this, that our eyes become very clouded because of all the things that we take in. And what I realize about the good eye that Jesus talks about here, it's an eye that values. It's an eye that values. It treasures the things that should be treasured. And those things that we should treasure in life is God and others. Those are the things that the scripture calls us to treasure, that, we, that this good eye sees value and it sees worthlessness. And it knows the difference between those things, that the good eye is never neutral. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus uses eye as a single you know, word. It's, it's in a singular form, not two eyes or eyes, but an eye, why? Because that is a good eye is always focused on that ultimate treasure, that one treasure, and that is God. That is God. So, if this is about what we fill our hearts and our minds within the next question I have for you is that what should I fill my heart and my mind and my life with? So, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. It's Philippians chapter 4 starting with verse four. Let me read these texts to you and we'll work our way through those. And we're gonna end in verse nine in just a moment. Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he says, he uses the word again, are always, and again, because this is not something optional for our life. It's not not something that I can say, well, you know what? That's good for some people, but not good for me. It's not some Christian platitude that we have, but it's crucial. Let your response, reasonableness, right beside the word reasonableness, write the word gentleness. Same word, same word, but let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. I underline that. Do not be anxious about anything. God, do you know the world we live in, right? Do you know what's going on in my life? Yes, he does. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with a thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are distinctives for a Christ follower. Let me talk with you for a moment about them. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I love that text until I get to the word always, because I don't understand. What do you mean always? What does always mean? Well, I looked it up. Do you know what it means? It means always. It's exactly what it means. It means always because our joy is not dependent upon circumstances around us. That's it. Are there going to be days when I feel down and have the blues? Absolutely, because I'm human. There is but this is simply this rejoicing is simply solely based upon that of my relationship with Christ in a deep abiding spiritual quality of my life to rejoice in God always and it's it's not an option it's not an option it's a mark of my walk with Christ well mark that's fine but i'm still not understanding how i'm going to rejoice in In the Lord always, because it's the three words before the word always. In the Lord, that is important because it's not how I feel. It's not whether I have the emotion of happiness at certain times in my life. It's based upon an understanding of what Christ has done in my life. It's based upon the gospel that Christ found me when I was unlovable. He found me in a broken state when I had nothing to bring to the table to my redemption. But yet he brought everything to the table in that of his son, Jesus, so that I am covered in the righteousness of Christ today. And when I look at life through the lens of that, what I realize that this is in the Lord, that not only is my redemption in the Lord, but my rejoicing is in the Lord. It's not something that I have to work up on my own. It's not that at all. No, it's where my rejoicing begins, and that's the gospel and what God has done in my life. That's the healthy eye. When life doesn't seem to go the way I think it should go, I understand it's all in the Lord. It's not in me. And then he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And, and I and I thought this is so interesting how he puts these declarities and distinctives out for you and I that Christ has set us free for joy always and called us to gentleness to everyone. To everyone. Yes. And that includes those that you live with. Yeah, right? For those of you here on campus, those of you that are joining us for church at home and you're sitting in your living room with your family today, it's for those in the living room with you, those that are sitting around with you today. It's for those that sometimes receive something for us from us that's not very gentle because we think, well, they love us, they can take it, and I'm really gonna let them have it, right? And that simply that we live a life of gentleness to everyone. Can I read a text to you from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23? You don't have to turn there. It's a very short verse. It talks about Christ, and it says this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly. It's an attribute of Christ, but yet here is the thing. Now it's a characteristic of you and I in our lives, is what Jesus is saying as followers of Christ. The Christians at Philippi, they're continually under persecution because of their faith. It's in the middle of their persecution that Jesus says, be gentle. But he doesn't just say, be gentle. He says, be gentle to everyone. He's speaking this through Paul. He says, be gentle through every, to everyone, not just those that are gentle to you, but those that are persecuting you also, that you're to show a spirit of gentleness to them because that simply characterizes Christ. Wow. The rejoicing part, eh, I can deal with that. The gentleness part right now in my life, I'm not sure about that. No, he says this is distinctive of those that follow Christ. Is what he says. And then he gives us this message. He says, The Lord is near. He says, The Lord is near. And he's talking about rejoicing and gentleness. And then he says, God is near. And, and my first my thought goes to simply, what is he saying? Is he saying like, hey, if you don't get this right, you know, it's kind of a deal. Like you used to say to maybe your kids or your parents said to you, wait till your father gets home. Right. You know, like if you don't get this down, God is coming and he's going to deal some judgment all over you because you're not getting that right. Is that what he's is? Is he talking about Christ's soon return or is he talking about Christ's omnipresence within our lives that he's always with us? And I think he's talking about a little of both. And let me tell you how this encourages us to be able to rejoice and be gentle in these moments of our lives. Let me tell you how this simply, I think, is a catalyst for this. Because theologically, where this makes sense and really values whatever, I don't know, it's what we call realized eschatology. And what this means is this, that there is a present aspect to this, that God is near. God is with us every moment of our lives. So don't be anxious. So rejoice and be gentle to others because God is present right now in our lives. Yes, he is. But then there's also the future aspect of this that despite the disparity in our lives, in our world, that your future is sure in Christ. Understand that. That your future is sure in Christ today. You may have this three and a half inch view of the world around you and we don't know what's happening. It seems like things change all the time with us in the world in which we live. That your future is sure in Christ. He's present and he's returning. And those are so powerful for us. That God has given us this lens to live life through. And when I live life with this lens, then I rejoice in the Lord. I'm gentle to everyone in light of rejoicing in the Lord and living a life of gentleness and the Lord is near, he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. So can we clear the air for a moment with a little honesty? You ready? Are you ready? Well, you're going to be ready, right? Yeah. You, I mean, what are you going to say? No, we're not ready. We don't want to be honest. This is church. Um, how many of you had a moment, how many of you have had a moment in your life this past week where you felt anxious or anxiety about something? Raise your hand in this room. Oh, well, some of them have two hands. And it's not even worship right now, right? It's not even, we're not singing. Well, it is worship, right? Because we worship God in all the things we do. So, so we're, we're, I'm speaking to the right crowd. The Lord is speaking to us today because he knows us so powerfully. So what do I do, Mark? You're telling me these things about rejoice always. You're telling me to be gentle even to those that that are mistreating me. And, and you tell me that I do this all in the light of that the Lord is near in my life. So, so give me something that I can do. Wonderful. It's amazing because in this text that we read, Paul gives us something that we can do. He says, in everything by prayer. He says, pray. That's what he does. He says, pray. Oh, I'm to just talk with God. No, no. Can I tell you, prayer is more than just talking. Understand this, okay? But prayer acknowledges my utter dependence upon God. Prayer acknowledges my utter dependence upon God. Hang on, I'll give you a reason why. It acknowledges my utter dependence upon God, and it also simultaneously expresses my complete trust in God. Why? Because Paul says, pray in the middle of the struggle of your life. He says, pray in the middle of these moments. Pray in the middle of the distress of your life because God is near to you, In everything, he says, you are to pray in everything, in every detail of your life, in every moment of your life. You are to pray during those moments because what that does, that expresses your need for him in your life. And it also expresses your trust for him in your life when you pray in the middle of the distress. And then he says, in everything by thanksgiving, he said, Thanksgiving is a recognition that all of life is a gift of God's grace. It's a gift of God's grace for you. I wrote this in my journal this week. Gratitude is, a birthpla- is the birthplace for generosity. That gratitude is the birthplace for generosity in our lives. Because the lack of gratitude in my life always places trust back upon me. It always puts trust back into Mark. That Mark can make this work and Mark can kind of work out all the details who has failed me more in life mark or god and i can tell you without any doubt mark has failed mark more in life than god has ever failed and in fact he has never failed me because this is not just about you saying thank you god for all your gifts that you've given me it's a posture in the way that i see everything in life that i thank god that god is near me and god god He he never leaves me, so I understand that God is control of all things around me, even when I don't feel like there's any control. And that's a healthy eye, and that's the lens that I see life through, and it's the good eye. And then He says, "The peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind." It's God's alternative to anxiety and worry within our lives. That I submit all that's happening in my life to God in prayer and thanksgiving, and then the peace of God, in turn guards my heart and mind. And and he finishes that verse with two words in Christ because this is in Christ. This is not in Mark, no. He says this transcends your human understanding, your unbelieving mind. It transcends all of those things. Those minds of ours that are full of anxiety and worry and all of you had those moments in your life, you know, this this week. It transcends all those kinds of things because you and I can never think higher than ourselves. That's the issue. That's why we have to trust God and we have to give this to God because we can never think higher than ourselves. But God has all of those things worked out in our lives. He's not only just in our past. He's not only in our life today, but he's also in our life in the future. He's already there. So he has all of those things worked out in a plan for our lives. He has it all figured out. So trust him. Trust him. Because his peace transcends understanding. So I started with this question with you. If your mind's capacity is a 10, you know, somebody's saying, dude, my mind capacity is about a a 6.5 right now in life. You know, if your mind capacity is a 10, then what is occupying most of that space? I think that's a question that we really should answer. What is occupying most of that space? So what are you thinking about? Let me finish this text in the book of Philippians with you. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. You see, here's what I take from this text. That there has to be room in my life for the whatevers. And I love this. What do you mean the whatevers? There's six of them that, that Paul talks about in this text. That there has to be room for the lives of the whatevers in, in my life. That how I see them in the creative order. And, and here's what I mean. That the best of this world. That I have to look for the best of this world. Even when it is not overtly Christian. Think about this. Someone once said, and I quote it, but I don't know who said it, so, but I, it is a quote, that truth and beauty are where we find them. Truth and beauty are where we find them. But what am I looking for every day of my life? That's it. Am I just going around judging things? And Christians are so prone to this that I'm a, am I just going around judging whether things are Christian or not Christian? Or what is, what is my eye looking for in life? The gospel, the ultimate paradigm of what is truth and admirable. Absolutely. I understand that. But are we looking for our redemption story in all the whatevers of this world? I spent a lot of time thinking about this text. Do we see the redemption story of Christ in the arts? Do we see that? You know, one of my favorite movies, and and it dates me, it's an older movie, so I understand, okay, so it's all good, right? But one of my favorite movies is the movie Shawshank Redemption. Mark, that's not a Christian film, you know? I know, I know. But it's a powerful movie where you see the story of redemption. It's powerful. When you go to the beach and you pull out your chair and you dig your little toes in the sand, right? And you got your white stuff painted on your nose so your nose don't get burnt, right? And you're sitting out there. Do you think that God is speaking to you about his vast love for you as you hear those waves crash against the shore? What about when you're paddling as Reba and I were this past Monday on Lake Jocassi in a, in a kayak and, and you look around and you see the beautiful mountains and you see the, the crystal clear water below you and are you thinking that God created this one for his glory and two for my joy because he loves me? What about, and I know you're going to think this is really weird, what about when you're watching... The Steve Harvey Show. And you think, Mark, why would you say that? That's odd, right? I watched a video this week of an interview that Steve Harvey did with a young man who had lost his job, but he got a new job, and he got up in the morning, and his car wouldn't start, and so he he walked 20 miles to not miss his first day on his new job. He left at 11 o'clock at night, To be there like at 7 or 8 in the next morning. And he walked. And on the way to his job at 4 a.m. The police picked him up. Because they thought maybe he was up to no good. And when he told his story. The police actually took him and fed him breakfast. And took him to the place that he was going to be working. He was working for a moving company. So they took him to the house of the people that he was moving. And he knocked on the door. And he's a complete stranger to this family. And he told them his story. And they invited him in. Before anyone else got there, and they told him to go upstairs and find a bed and get some rest, but he said no, he wanted to go to work early. The owner of the company was notified about this story, and he showed up at the job that day, and he gave the young man his own personal family car because he was so moved by this young man's life. And if you find this video clip online, Steve Harvey preaches a message about grace. But wait, Mark, it's not a Christian television show. I know. Thank God. Thank God it's not because redemption needs to be heard by those that need redemption. Are you with your healthy eye? Searching for God in the whatever's of life. Because I saw God in something that was not built or produced to be Christian, but yet what I saw in that was things that were honorable and true and pure and just and lovely and commendable and excellent. Because when I live life with an eye like that, then what I realize is this, that I'm not going to continually go around focusing on everything that's discouraging and I'm not going to ignore that, but I'm going to look for God In all the whatevers of life. Because the the healthy eye sees beauty outside of the places that we would normally look for beauty. And Paul says, practice this and the God of peace will be with you. Practice that and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul says this to us. He says that peace is not something that you get, and we talked about that for a moment last week, that you get when you isolate yourself from everything in the world. But the peace of God that is given to you and I is something that we find in the middle of doing life. We find in the middle of the distress. And the challenges of our lives. But it's the healthy eye. That makes the difference. It's that when I am going through life. Looking for things that are pure. And I'm looking for things. That are honest. And commendable. And things of excellence. That I find the peace of God. In the middle of. So for a moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes just to cut off all the distractions? Those of you that are joining us from church at home, would you do the same with us for a moment? Allow me to pray with you and pray over you today. But I challenge you to really take an inventory of your life. In this moment where I believe discouragement and fear is something that we are dealing with at a greater level than ever before in our lives. And it's not that just we turn off the television or close the laptop or we delete an app from our phone, but it really comes back to that of a healthy eye and a bad eye and what you and I are looking for in life. And so I, do I see God in those common moments of grace around me? Do I realize that he is near? So I am generous and I am gentle to others and I rejoice in him always. Am I praying today, realizing that I am ultimately dependent on him and I trust him completely? Am I praying in a posture of thanksgiving to realize that everything is from Him and everything is an act of grace in our lives. And those things bring a peace in our lives that passes all understanding. What am I filling my mind with today? What is my focus? What am I looking for in life? Do I see God? In places that I've never looked for him before. So Lord speak to us this morning. May our hearts be open to you. God may we realize that peace and fulfillment. Stability in our life is not the elimination of all of the worries. And not the elimination of all the elements of stress in our life. But it simply comes down to a good eye and a bad eye. It comes down to what we're focused on, what we treasure and value. It comes down to the lens that we're wearing this morning, that we see life. through. We realize it's in you. It's all in you today. So, Father, we trust you completely. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. In your name.